Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman. Frankie Oss joins me. Frankie, our rock expert, how are you? I'm great. It's good to be here today. Just moving through the month of January, aren't we? We sure are. It seems like uh, it was just the holidays and, you know, now it's middle of the month. Yeah. Pretty soon we'll be making our plans to start our classic conversations up. You know, we're going to run those through the winter and into the spring. And we'll be back with season 10 continuing uh, right around the 1st of May, mark your calendars for May the 6th. Kind of our best of. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll have Grand Funk and <laughs> Moody Blues. January 22nd, 1953, as we look at Today in Rock. Okay. Buddy Holly recorded several songs in his final recording session. As you know, he died in that tragic plane crash less sure. than a month away, mm-hmm. February 3rd. Or was it the 2nd? The day the music died. Right. 1963, with George Martin producing, Jerry and the Pacemakers recorded the song, How Do You Do It? at EMI Studios in London. There you go. They were good. They're very good. Not yes. a huge uh, bunch of music, but still, I like their tunes. Three years later, 1966, members of the Wrecking Crew laid down the instrumental tracks for the song, Wouldn't It Be Nice? Yeah, it would be. You probably, <laughs> <laughs> you probably heard of some of these guys. Carol Kay played bass guitar. Sure. Hal Blaine on drums. We just featured him in our little big segment. And Bill Pittman. Bill Pittman. And Bill Pittman, acoustic rhythm guitar and the subject of our future little big. There you go. All three. All three. <laughs> and there was just some of them. Also in 1966, same day, Nancy Sinatra released... These boots are made for walking. Ah, great. Wanted to be a number one hit. That was a guilty pleasure. Yep. (laughs) That was after 12 other songs she released previously failed to chart. Really? Yeah, 12 songs. Then she hit it big with that one and that something stupid. Yes, exactly. Then, then, moving up to 1984, we're fast forwarding 18 years later. Barry Manilow sang the national anthem at Super Bowl 18, the Raiders and Washington. I never realized that. Me either. Yeah. I wonder if he had the you know the, the the symbols and the cheerleaders and the fireworks going off at the end, <laughs> like a typical Manilow song. Absolutely. Birthdays, Sam Cooke, 1931. Steve Perry turned 75 today. Oh, wow. Frankie. Michael Hutchins, you know, in excess, would have been sure. 64 today had he oh. lived. And actress Diane Lane is 59. I thought she was a little older than I thought she was my age, but 59. Right. All right, Frankie, soon-to-be hits, songs debuting on the Hot 100 of the week of January 22nd, 1974. Right. Nine songs made their debut. Debut. Three of them are the only ones I know, except this one I kind of knew because of Dolly Parton's Rock Hall induction. She sang the sure. rocker Jolene. Of course. <laughs> hit the charts at number 92 and only made it up to number 60, her first release. John Denver hit number one. Sunshine on My Shoulders yeah. started out at number 90. That number one for him was the first of four he would have. That's right, yes. One of my favorites from the spinners, Mighty Love.
that just should too. Started out at 83 on the Hot 100 and would only peak at number 20, but I like that song. Okay. Guilty Pleasures time, Frankie. Guilty Pleasures. <laughs> it's Partridge Family. It's one of those nights. Yes, love. Number 20 in early 1972. That's the last one for them that would chart as high again. But they had a bunch prior to that. I'll meet you halfway. Doesn't somebody want to be wanted? And of course, the biggie, I think I love you. Yes. But this is my favorite. It's David Cassidy. And I'd wish they would just call him David Cassidy at that point because the Keith Partridge thing was as big as anything. Tiger Beat Magazine and 16 and what. And Sure. But here he is on in the middle of the Partridge family run, still putting out top hits. And he's got to play a character and not himself. Right, right. And I wish they would let him be David Cassidy. But I really like that song. Yes, love, it's one of those nights. It's a big hit for them. Well, number 20 is a pretty big hit. I liked yeah, it. That's my favorite one of theirs. It's good, too. It's one of those nights when you turn out the lights and you sit in the dark and say to yourself, I miss her. It's one of those moods when your body broods And you conjure up her picture and you kiss her It's one of those things for the pain it brings You say to yourself, hey, couldn't I live without it? Well, I think so, on the other hand, I doubt it well, suddenly she's crashing through my How about you? Well, I'm going to go with another song from 1972, Garden Party by Ricky Nelson. I went to a garden party to reminisce with my old friend, a chance to share old memories and play our songs again. To the garden party they all knew my name no one recognized me I didn't look the same but it's all right now I learned my lesson well you see you can't please everyone so you got to please yourself people came from miles around Everyone was there Yoko brought her walrus There was 
magic in the air And over in the corner Much to my surprise Mr. Hughes hidden Dylan's shoes Wearing his disguise But it's alright now I learned my lesson well You see you can't please everyone So you got to please yourself So in 1972, I must admit that it was great fun to hear Ricky Nelson on the radio. I watched as he had transitioned from a teenager to young adult on the first run and the syndicated The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. I knew he'd been a pop star, but his last top 20 hit was in 1963, so it was a little bit before my time. And yes, he was a music star. Want proof? Well, he was inducted into the Rock Hall of Fame in 1987. So it was fun to hear this innocuous song, something about a garden party, on the radio. And then one day the DJ mentioned something about it being a true story about a concert, and it sparked my interest. Soon I was looking for clues, with Yoko bringing her walrus being obvious. Yes, Yoko and John were there. Garden party? Well, the concert was at Madison Square Garden. And it was called the Rock and Roll Spectacular, featuring acts of the 50s and 60s. A pop, Johnny B. Good? Yep, Chuck Berry played. There was a mysterious line about Mr. Hughes and Dylan's shoes, until I found out that Ricky and George Harrison were friends, and Mr. Hughes was George's alias when he was on the road. Dylan's shoes referred to a legendary album of Dylan covers that George talked about but never made. Mary Lou and She Belongs to Me are two of the oldies that he played. But then he played a newer song, of all things, Country Honk. Yes, that dreaded <laughs> honky-tonk woman countryfied. And the crowd booed uh, him. It went sideways. Now, that's like the Eagle fan booing Santa Claus. Who would boo Ricky Nelson? As the song says, I played a song about a honky-tonk and it was time to leave. Ricky cut his set short, said goodbye, and left, not even participating in the concert-ending All-Star Jam. And so it's sad that that happened. But without it, we wouldn't have this last top ten hit and memorable guilty pleasure. Yeah, it's a good one. (laughs) Garden Party by Ricky, now Rick Nelson, a number six hit in 1972. That was his final top 40 record from his former teen idol mm-hmm. that show aired a little before my time but you can still catch it once in a while it reruns btv or whatever right or i mo- i remember mostly from syndication yeah. yeah i like that song it's a nice little autobiographical thing you know right. he didn't want to sing all old stuff he wanted sure. to sing some new stuff 
And the audience, whenever somebody brings out new stuff. So, eh. Yeah, and it was too bad it happened, you know, because he doesn't deserve to, you know. It's funny because food, but no, what the uh, heck? It's funny because comedians are kind of the opposite. I don't want to hear a lot of old material. I want right. to hear new stuff. <laughs> exactly. When a, a rocker comes out or a singer comes out, I want to play some from the new album. Unless you're really familiar with it, uh, yeah. Even break. even uh, Mick Jagger says nobody wants to hear the stuff off the new album. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time for a bathroom break, beer break, what have you. Exactly. <laughs> Frankie, it's time for a one-hit wonder. It's Chirpy, yeah. Chirpy, Cheap, Cheap, Mac and Katie Kassoon, the brother and sister R&B duo. Right. Originally right. from Trinidad. This one is always stuck with me because there were three versions that came out almost at the same time. This was the one for the United States. There was also one for Europe and for the UK. And interestingly enough, as bad as this song is, it has sold over 10 million copies worldwide. That's incredible. I can't believe it. It went to number 20 in 1971 on the Hot 100. I still (laughs) laugh when I hear this song. You know, they had an early cover in 1973 of the soon-to-be number one hit for Captain and Tennille, Love Will Keep Us Together. Yeah, everybody seemed to take a hack at that one, didn't they? (laughs) It's astounding. Not until Daryl Dragon, the captain, put his arrangement and production skills behind that song to become the number one hit of the year and the Grammy winner, as we know, for record of the year. But chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheap. (laughs) They also had about a dozen other singles Mac and Katie did, some charting in other countries. Number one in Belgium in 1975 they had. Well, we were number one in Belgium. However, 
None of them hit the Hot 100 here in the right, States. here in the States, sure. Now, they had moved to the UK after Trinidad. I didn't know if you knew that, but uh, I certainly did. How could you not? <laughs> Both began very successful careers as backing singers and session musicians. In fact, Katie worked with several top artists through the 80s, working with them on stage. Eric Clapton, Elton John, George Harrison, Van Morrison, and Roger Waters, to name a few. She was on stage in the, 19, in the 2002 concert for George. Katie. Wow. Oh, man. Tusha, get in. Coming up next. Frankie, it's time for Two Should Get In. There's a lot of artists that we get to get to, and hopefully they'll get their nod sometime. Not all of them, because there's probably 40 of these. Yes, exactly, that we've done. And then you're you're like, oh, I forgot about them. I don't think we've mentioned Supertramp. Supertramp, yes. And I have a relative, well, kind of a relative, and good friend, Paul, who made a discovery not long ago when he posted on Facebook, how come when I hear a classic rock song I like, it always turns out to be super tramp? (laughs) Well, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I get where he's coming from, because the group has been through many changes, both in personnel and its music. They started out as a very progressive rock band with two albums that were well-reviewed but didn't sell much. After a bit of retooling, 1974's Crime of the Century was still progressive, but a bit more commercial. Songs like Dreamer with Roger Hodson and, uh, excuse me, on low lead vocals and Bloody Well Right with Rick Davies on lead vocals ushered in a new period of shared leads for the band and also made it difficult to always spot a Supertramp song, 
one could easily think that these were two songs by two different bands. Their next two albums, Crisis What Crisis and Even in the Quietest Moments, continued to gain momentum until 1979's complete breakthrough, Breakfast in America. With four hit singles, three making the top 20, the album was in constant rotation on radio and has sold over 20 million copies worldwide. After one more top five album, 1982's Famous Lost Words, Roger Hodson, half of the songwriting duo and the higher pitched voice, see the logical song, left for a solo career, leaving Rick Davies, the deeper, raspy, kind of ironic baritone, see Goodbye Stranger, um, without a partner. One more great song, Cannonball, came out in 1985. But without the team, there hasn't been much to talk about since. And the same applies to Roger's solo career. But for the 10 wonderful years they spent together, I'd love to see them inducted into the Rock Hall. Sure, why not? Uh, 10 years together putting out music is a lot of time. Sure is. A lot of groups that are already in had a lot less time than that. Exactly. There were some that barely had two albums. Buffalo Springfield. Mm -hmm. Mine is Phil Collins. Why isn't he in the Rock Hall? I don't think he's even been nominated. I I would have thought that he would have been, of course. As a solo artist, of course, he's in with Mm -hmm. Genesis. Yes, seven number one singles as a solo artist, tremendously successful albums. Face value, five-time platinum, 12 million worldwide. Hello, I Must Be Going, three-time platinum. Sure. No Jacket Required, 12-time platinum, (laughs) 25 million worldwide. And but seriously... Four-time platinum and number one in the U.S. and 21 other countries. Eight-time, eight-time Grammy Award winner. That's as good as Billy Joel, if not better. And Billy's in the Rock Hall. I think he's just overlooked, maybe because people were kind of sick of him in the 80s. He was everywhere. Right. And, and you know, I, I know that he was in for Genesis, but um, if, you, if you take a look at the success, actually his solo career was more successful yeah. than the Genesis stuff ever was. Holy cow. He's still... He was putting stuff out into the 90s. Right, right. And uh, like you said, just he was uh, the man of the hour back in the 80s. He was literally everywhere. And maybe you're right. Maybe that has something to do with it. Might have been uh, fatigue. I'd love to see him get in. Me too. At least nominated. And a lot of times it just takes that. Sure. Songwriters Hall of Fame 2003. Rock Hall of Famer, of course, with Genesis in 2010. But Lionel Richie is solo artist. 2022. Here's another guy you couldn't get away from in the 80s and worked with everybody, kind of like Phil Collins. Exactly. I'd like to see Phil Collins at least get some some nod, some run, some publicity. Uh, Nominee. I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do a cover versus cover. It's Tommy James and the Shondells versus Billy Idol next. Seems so long I've been waiting 
cover versus cover. Moni Moni, you spelled it correctly. Yes. Uh, I think it was this episode or maybe the last one. M-O-N-Y. M-O-N-Y, Moni Moni. Tommy James and the Shondells versus Billy Idol's live version. Now, Billy Idol's live version in 1987 made it all the way to number one. Sure did. Tommy James took this song to number three in 1968, right. one of his six top five hits. Yep. Which do you like better? Wow, this is this was a tough one, and not because I don't like it. This time, I, I really do like them both. Last week, I mentioned a little story about the name of this song. Is Tommy James stepped out on his veranda and saw the Mutual of New York sign. That's the M-O-N-Y, and the rest is history. It's a great song, and it turned out to be just the dance hit that Tommy was looking for. This version is perfect for the dance floor, and even though I never saw it live, I'm sure it's a showstopper in concert. Speaking of live versions, uh, this song was literally made for Billy Idol and his band. There wasn't a dance floor in the 80s that didn't fill up when this one was played. Billy wanted to do a cover of a 60s dance tune and considered Shout before settling on this tune. Great choice that led to an interesting custom. When they performed it live or at a dance club, people would shout a certain phrase in the two measures following each line. Yes, I can't repeat it here because it's a bit obscene, but if you ever dance to it, you know exactly what I mean. And if you never dance to it, well, what are you waiting for? And so I love both versions, but for sure shits chutzpah <laughs> value, um, I'll go with Billy Idol for the win.
Frankie, it's time for Download with a Twist. Sometimes these songs, as you know, are a little hard to find. But you can find it unless it's like Tag. Remember a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> but I, <laughs> I found, you found it. So you can find these songs <laughs> yes, most of the can. time. We're not going to make them so hard to find. I heard this song on uh, one of the ro- local rock stations in town a couple of years ago. They were talking about Brad Delp, the former lead singer of Boston, who right, right. killed himself in 2007. A nice little rocker called Rockin' Away. He did this with his former bandmate, Barry Goudreau. Mm -hmm. It was released after Brad's death um, in 2007. like it what do you what do you think of the song i think it's good yeah and you know it's uh it's kind of fun to listen and i'm sad he wasn't around to enjoy it but you know it's it's uh it's a good rocker it's upbeat it's happy sounding Mm -hmm. it sounds like an autobiographical type of song right right it sings a lot about boston's songs in early years and and he's got he's got that wonderful voice you can't you can't mistake it fantastic (laughs) so so sad we lost him Back in 2007, Brad Dalt, yeah. Barry Goudreau, rocking away. How about you? Well, I've got, uh, well, one of our favorite artists, Todd Rundgren, doing Initiation. Through the ground, desire and 
67 minutes, the album Initiation is one of the longest commercial LPs ever made. Todd actually had to speed up the music on both sides to fit the album. So, clocking in at 7 minutes 6 seconds, I'm not sure how it was supposed to song, sound, but Initiation, um, I really liked the way it turned out. The lyrics are about love, unification, and the dawn of a new day, and the people's spirit coming alive in 1975. That sounds like Todd Rundgren. Very upbeat. The music matches the words with soaring synthesizers and even a cool synthesized saxophone solo by David Sanborn. Hmm. However, as much as I like Initiation and the rest of Side 1 of the album, Side 2 is 36 minutes of instrumentals that, quite frankly... Is a little self-indulgent and better left unsaid. So I highly recommend downloading this song, not the album, Initiation, and a great little forgotten nugget in Todd's career. Yeah, by then I was kind of biding my time until something more commercial came out, like right. Kermit from Mink Hollow. And yeah, that was a little bit more. David Sanborn also played uh, on Jazz Man, right, the Carol King hit. So he was he played on a lot of records back in the day. Todd sure. Rundgren initiation that was from seventy five. Do you say seventy five? All right, Frankie, it's time for a little-known recording artist, big contribution. You had one last week from a guy, you know, who played for years and years with these right, Street Band. Right, right. Started with the East Street Band and, uh, yeah, bloomed into a whole yeah, different thing. Still doing well now. Minus Hugh McCracken, the guitarist, the American guitarist, session musician based in New York City, an in-demand guitarist in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. He worked with many acts back then, like the Monkees, then Billy Joel, Steve Lee Dana did the guitar parts on Hey 19. Ooh, nice. Talk about recognizable beginnings. Mm John Lennon, Paul Simon, still crazy after all these years. Wow. Van Morrison on Brown Eyed Girl. Paul McCartney, of course. 
Paul asked Hugh to join the band, Wings, but he declined. Isn't that something? Probably didn't want to or <laughs> too much. down Paul McCartney? Jeez. Uh, Hugh did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also played slide guitar on Eric Carmen's big hit, All By Myself. Oh, yeah. And here's some That's good right. music right there. Hugh died in 2013, just a few days prior to his 71st birthday, but what an impact he made on the music industry. Hugh McCracken, the in-demand session musician. He worked with everybody, Frank. Yeah, great player. Frankie, we're going to name our favorite song from our favorite albums. Right. And this one, I would have chosen if you didn't. So what do you have? It's wonderful. It's Nights in White Satin and then Late Lament um, from the Moody Blues from Days of Future Past. in white satin never reaching the end letters I've written never meaning to send beauty I'd always missed with these eyes before just what the I can't say anymore Cause I love you orchestrations and something called a Mellotron, a keyboard that was an early version of the synthesizer. It was a sound that no one had heard before in popular music, and if you want to know where progressive rock began, look no further than this album. And it is these two songs which end the proceedings. First we get the haunting Nights in White Satin, beautifully sung by Justin Hayward, Mm -hmm. with the Mellotron and London Festival Orchestra pumping away in the background. And then, just when we think it's over, more orchestral flourishes take us to the late lament. It, at first, presents a kind of a negative tone, but then suddenly we get the final line, but we decide which is right and which is an illusion, which, as I've always felt, uh, meant that we still control our own destiny. And with a last string run and a big brash finish, the album, unlike we've ever heard before, is over. (laughs) Oh, I love that song. It is. 
great. First released in 1968, hit number two in 1972. Right. You know, in 68, it somehow didn't crack the Hot 100, but the Moody Blues were around back then. Yeah, and it, I think it was just, you know, before its time. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody was ready for a, a full-on progressive uh, album like that. Pretty soon, probably in the spring when we pick up our brand new episodes, um, sometime in early May, May 6th, I believe it is, we're going to have a brand new topic called Comeback Kids. There you go. And these are big hits that first were released and weren't so big hits. Right. Like they, Nights and Lights Then. Get Together by the Youngblood. Some of these didn't crack the Hot 100 at all. Sure. Some yeah. did, but didn't make it to the top 40 or didn't do very well. Then they were re- released to being a gigantic hit. And like you said, maybe it wasn't their time at the first time around. Or Hanky Panky, which we just talked about a week ago. Sure. That's true. So that'll be coming up before too long. Mine comes from the police. I hope I didn't steal this one from you from Synchronicity. No. no. But Wrapped Around Your Finger. Great one. Number eight hit from early in 1984. I don't know if it's a stalker tune or not, Frankie, (laughs) but boy, I love that song. And Sting was at his peak, I think. Uh, songwriting abilities were synchronicity was a great great album well as he as he put it more than once he said you know there was a time in the late 70s and early 80s where i know i had my finger on the pulse of the marketplace and this was one of them wrapped around your finger by the police and Mm -hmm. that's a cool video too he's kind of roaming through a big bed of Candles, yeah, the candles, yeah. yeah so I really like that song. The whole album, Synchronicity. I imagine something else from the something else from the Police. I'm sure is going to be coming up before too long. Ghost oh, in the Machine comes yeah. to mind. Great stuff. Next up, Frankie's going to make the grade. All right. 
Frankie's going to make the grade. Last week he gave Stairway to Heaven an A. Yeah, hard to believe. But and you'd give it yeah. to him like, what, what was it, 1972 or three it was out? Recorded, I can't remember when it came out. 71. 71. 71. Yeah. So this time it's going to be a song by Fleetwood Mac. Give me a grade for Go Your Own Way. that a solid b not anything great um as far as you know i was never a huge fleetwood mac fan but that's a nice song it kind of let off the uh, rumors album announced to everyone that they were back and uh better than ever uh good song i give it a b it wasn't just a dark, downtrodden type of album. That's yeah. Why I, I was it glad so to see they they started with something that was you know a little bit up tempo, upbeat. Yeah. And their first release from that album, Rumors. Right. And who knew at the time how big that album would that be? Would, that was going to get huge. <laughs> Did the Grammys get it right? Frankie will right. look at Record of the Year for 1983 coming up. Great. Did the Grammys get it right? Frankie's going to okay. see if he can make it two in a row. Record of the year, 1983. This aired in 1984, right? The right. beginning of the year. John Denver was hosting for the fifth time. You know, his recording career had kind of tailed off. But he had had the uh, one or two movies, Oh God. Remember Oh God? Sure. He looked good in the tux. You did. He had that, <laughs> <laughs> had that bold haircut. Yeah, the, the, the bold glasses. blonde hair, yep. So here are the nominees for Record of the Year. This goes to the producer in alphabetical order. All Night Long by Lionel Richie. Okay. Beat It, Michael Jackson. Mm. Every Breath You Take, The Police. Flashdance, What a Feeling, Irene Cara. And Maniac from Michael Sambello. Those were both from the wow. film. Wow. That's, that's a tough list. All Night Long, and, Beat It, and... Every Breath You Take, Flashdance, Maniac. I think I'll go with uh, Every Breath You Take. That was uh, the most played of the year, I think, other than, you know, maybe Beat It. But Beat It kind of 
Billy Jean and their, yeah. You could yeah. think that would cancel each sure, other out. Sure, That's happened before, but not in this case. Michael Jackson's <laughs> Beat It. Quincy Jones, producer, yep. took home record of the year. That was a great album. Well, yeah, and I just thought maybe it would it would lock itself out, but I guess not. <laughs> and I'm going to have that maybe, or maybe you will, um, the Thriller album as one of my favorite albums. I'll choose my favorite cut. And I'll, bet sure, you, I, sure. I'll tell you right now, it's not going to be either one of those songs. Although I do like both videos. Yeah, it was well, and they were played all the time, and they, you know, it was it was fun because it was fun to see what was coming next. Yeah, <laughs> and the video thriller, you know, the fifteen sure, minute sure. thing. Even the rock station here in town was playing Beat It and Billie Jean. Yep, yep. Nineteen seventy two is our featured year. Frankie, we're just going through them, aren't we? One by one. It was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You were like 16 years old driving? Turning were you driving 16, yet? Uh, no, I don't think I got my license until like early 73. Yeah, we had to, uh, yeah, I had to go through all the, you know, courses and everything like that. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't in a huge hurry, so. Back then, though, if you wanted to date, you had a have a driver's license and it helped if you like <laughs> had a car that was decent and you shaved you know that was like when you uh, turned yeah. 16 became a, a junior suddenly more kids are younger than you in school than they are older and you're kind of required to do certain things get good grades start thinking about college start driving start dating start playing varsity however it is in choir marching band right right uh, sports what have you and you get a job. You have a lot more responsibility all of a sudden. Well, yeah, that's true. But the only good thing about Lakewood was it was so small that as long as you were dating a, a Lakewood girl, you were you were somewhere close to where she lived. You know, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. You couldn't be that far, especially since we lived like in the middle we of did. Lakewood. Yeah. Right. So 1972, Frankie, World Series, Oakland A's were starting to be the swinging A's. Yeah, absolutely. And they beat the big red machine, Cincinnati, four games to three, featuring eight Hall of Famers to be, including yep. both managers, Dick Williams and Sparky Anderson. Williams for Oakland and Anderson for Cincinnati. That's right, yeah. Super Bowl six was won by Dallas. They beat Miami 24-3. to that was the that was the period of the awful Super Bowls because yeah. the one be, the year before had been awful. This this was bad. It was almost was unwatchable. And Miami just <laughs> quite wasn't ready yet. Dallas no, was they weren't more than ready to win. NBA champs, the Lakers behind like that thirty three game winning streak that year. That's right. They yes. beat the Knicks in five games. The so things would turn around the next year with the Knicks winning. But that was a, a, a and it was nice to see Wilt get you know. Yeah. Another championship, yeah, definitely. Top news stories, President Nixon's historic trip to China. It's a seven-day trip. It took right. place in February. However, things kind of went awry for our 37th president come June <laughs> with the Watergate break-ins. Why he did that, still don't know. He didn't and, need and, to. And, um, you know, the, the funny thing is that the little blurb that came out about that, oh, there was a break-in at the... You know, it was just a nothing. It was it was not even a story. Not even a story. And how that built into what it did is just incredible. They put two cub reporters on yeah, there on the Washington yeah. Post, and they were just tenacious, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, and then they, they, if you've never seen All the President's Men, what a great oh, movie. And Robert uh, Redford just, directed it. It's fantastic. Just fantastic stuff, yeah. It really, really is. It might be just a tad long for guys like me, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> if you ever see it on TV, it's totally worth your time. Oh, yeah. In July, the Democratic Convention was held in Miami 
Senator George McGovern wins the nomination. His first choice for his running mate was fellow Senator Thomas Eagleton. Yeah, Remember that? Sadly, that was a disaster. Yeah. However, he later named Sergeant Shriver after it was found out that Eagleton had been hospitalized for clinical depression. Think about that nowadays. Nobody would blink if you were, you know. Oh, they would be all over you if you dumped him. Exactly. Exactly. You know. Yeah. They, they would not blink about oh, oh, depression. No, no. Everybody, everybody has everybody's depression. Like right. so, back then, this was this was huge. And this was the way that mental illness was uh, handled. handled. He, he was literally drummed right off immediately. And quickly. Yes. Back in, well, it didn't have a lot of time either. And then it, and then it just crushed any... You know, momentum that McGovern had coming out of the convention was gone. It was done. Wasn't George McGovern from like South Dakota? Exactly. And that's the only state he won in 1972. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> Which begs the question why do you need Watergate break in? Yeah. You're, if well, you're and everybody's always said that. Um, uh, you know, I was actually a kind of a Nixon fan a little bit back in the day, and I always said I'd never understood that. Totally okay. unnecessary. But if you know um, Richard Nixon's personality, <laughs> you know he is a paranoid, and yeah. that he definitely that is something that he would do. <laughs> the he, paranoia took over. He probably wanted to win all fifty exactly. states. Exactly. In September, the big chess. In September, a big chess match occurred with Bobby Fischer beating Boris Spassky. With I remember that. Spassky. Was, was that the one that was in Iceland? Yeah, it was Reykjavik. Yes, yes. Yeah. And they did. They, they of course that's the uh, play chess. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of came out of that yeah bobby fisher was the first american world chess champion that's right yeah and just then a couple, he went totally off the rails he did yeah just a couple of days later frank you remember this at the summer olympics in munich 11 israeli uh, athletes were killed and after eight members of the arab terrorist group black september stormed the olympic village right and uh uh, those of you who are old enough to remember uh, Jim K. Jim yeah. McKay's reporting was just splendid, yep. and he really kept everybody in the loop on what was going on. And uh, the sadness of his voice when he told us that they were all gone, that was just it was one, terrible. Of, one of the worst days, yes. He was the host of the Olympics mm-hmm. back then, kind of like Bob right. Costas is now or something exactly. like that. Yeah. So yeah. we were yeah. glued to the television which was ABC Channel 5 here in uh, Cleveland back then. And he was on, I think, the whole time. And it was like 24 hours a day. He was on the whole time. Yeah. In December, the final mission to the moon happened as Apollo 17 landed in mid-December. Astronaut Gene Cernan would be the last person to walk on the moon, now, at least that we know of. That is the most shocking statistic of all time, is that we have not been to another heavenly body since 1972, the human race I guess has not been to another human uh, heavenly body. Well, that we know of. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we've, we've probably... Uh, well, we probably would have heard about we've it. we probably landed on uh, Uranus or something. <laughs> <laughs> not my what is. <laughs> Top albums, Harvest, Honky Chateau. Yes. Chicago Five. Of course. Closer to the Edge by Yes. School's Out, Thick as a Brick, Superfly. An exile on Main uh, and Street. And I had most of those. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I talked all but, about those. But boy, one of, one of the best albums, uh, and it's not, we haven't, we, we haven't talked about it a lot, but he just brought it up, so mm-hmm. I will. Uh, Superfly is just a tremendous album by Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. Uh, really some good music. That's good stuff. Yeah. 
That might have come out of the shaft. Exactly. It came out of those black exploitation mm-hmm. movies. And, uh, but it's just tremendous music. shows again all in the family their rating had come down slightly <laughs> 34 last year now it's 33 because sanford and son the nbc show has kind of taken hold there you go. hawaii 50 maud a spinoff of all in the family yeah, exactly bridget loves bernie that was uh the uh, david bernie and uh who's the one on uh, meredith baxter, meredith baxter, baxter. Bernie, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the nbc sunday mystery movie now, <laughs> that was remember that was mcleod remember Columbo, remember McMillan those? and wife yes I like McLeod. You know, he's walking or riding the horse through Manhattan. McMillan wife. Yeah. Columbo. That was uh, Rock Hudson and uh, Susan St. James. Sure. Sure. Mary Tyler Moore. Gunsmoke had fallen down now in his, what, like 20th year. The Wonderful World of Disney and Ironside rounded out the list of top I watched Ironside every week. Him in that silly uh, wheelchair. Oh, my Raymond Burr. Oh, God. So on the family spun off three or four times. Maud, Good Times, Um, Jefferson's. Jefferson's, sure. And and, uh, Good Times, that's a spinoff of a spinoff. That's (laughs) almost unheard of. (laughs) Top grossing movies, you'll know all these. The Godfather. Well... It goes without saying, what a fantastic movie. Released December 27th was The Poseidon Adventure. Now, we didn't really see that in the movie theaters here until like the next summer. I remember seeing it like a dozen <laughs> times. I still love that movie. It's campy, it's silly, it's fun. It's Gene Hackman. It is yeah. Gene Hackman and Irwin Allen all the way. Absolutely. What's up, Doc? That's one of those, you know, campy. Uh, that was Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, and Barbra yeah. Streisand. Mm. Deliverance. <laughs> what a great movie. And. But I did not see it then. I would have seen it a couple years later, yes. Yeah, I see it once in a while, and I skip the 
scary parts. It can be a little uh, dark, Frankie. Dueling banjos. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremiah Johnson, Robert Redford's in that one. That's right. Cabaret, not a big cabaret fan. I I saw it in the movie theater. It was fine. I never need to see it again. I I didn't see it in the movie theater, but I saw it on stage. Never need to see it again. Who was it that starred in it? Liza Minnelli. And uh, Joel Gray. Joel Gray from Cleveland and... uh, Hmm. Michael York was in there also. Yeah, I'm just not a big cabaret fan. I do like all those guys that you mentioned. Sure. Deep Throat. <laughs> I I have never seen that, and at my age, I don't ever plan uh, to see gonna. it. I'm not going to. I would not admit to seeing that, not in not something recorded. But Yeah, uh, it, I never never ran into that. Maybe at a bachelor that. party, I might have taken it in. I don't I was know. A little, <laughs> bit too, I was a little bit too young for Linda Lovelace. A little yeah. bit too young. <laughs> French Connection, good movie, great car oh, chase, Gene fan, Hackman. Fantastic. My, one of my favorite movies of all time. And Lady Sings the Blues. Mm, another good one. That's yeah. uh, Diana Ross, of course. So that's what was going on in 1972. Oof. Frankie, I was 12. That's the year I met my lovely bride, you know, we didn't get married when we were 12, but I met her in language arts class. Right. She was sitting right next to me. You know how you sit alphabetically, and at the end of the second sure. row was me, and at the end of the third row was Cindy Hansen. <laughs> so that's how I got to know her, and it's nice when you can see each other every day. You really get caught up on things, especially after a weekend or whatever. And then you see him at a Harding dance every other Friday. Maybe you get enough up, up enough nerve to ask her out to dance, you know, on the dance floor. Right. And you do whatever you can to kind of move a relationship along. If you're 12 or 13 years old. You, whatever that means. Whatever that means. Yeah. It's a young romance. But that's when I met her 52 years ago, Frankie. But I don't want to give people the wrong idea. You didn't stay together from no, that age. No, no. Yes. Yeah, we went out for yes. like two, three months and then went our separate ways. But I always... as, as most uh, junior yeah. high, uh, yeah, middle yeah. school things are, yes. It's supposed to last. It's not going to last all summer.
if it but does, you, but it was meant to be because you yeah. found your way back. I did. <laughs> if it's meant to be, and it took a while. You know, we went our separate ways, but I always thought she sure. was a fantastic person. And so, you know, twelve years later, started dan- uh, dating again, and right. before you know it, we're engaged, and now we've been married almost forty years. I know it's incredible, Frankie. How long have you been married? I have been married uh, forty-two now. Oh, this will be boy, forty-two boy, this oh year. So yeah. Next week we're going to do 1973 <laughs> that was a good year great music great stuff to do lots of little league stuff stuff on the street with you and all the other friends right 73 was a, a, a wonderful year um just for for just having fun yeah it was like for me it was the last year of innocence and then reality was coming hard yeah. <laughs> and for me i still had another year to go uh, eighth grade was coming up so i still had a ways to go but sure. uh, for me that was my favorite summer as a kid, by far. Gotcha. I've had better other summers that are great as adults. You know, kids and whatever. Yeah. But uh, 73 was a great year. And we'll Not look at always. that next week. As 70s rock conversations continue, keep in mind our classic conversations will begin right at the end of the month. And we're going to do Grand Funk with a Mark Farner interview. Moody Blues with the Alan Hewitt interview. And we'll have uh, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. Lots of classic conversations to get you all the way through the winter and into the spring. It'll be nice and warm, hopefully, when we return with brand new episodes of 70s Rock Conversations. Beginning of May, we'll do 1975. So that means we have two more years to go before we start our classic conversations, 73 and 74. There you go. Thanks Thanks for joining me, Frankie. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next week as we look at 1973 on 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, for Frank Ost. We'll see you then. (laughs) 